Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. All right, I would invite you to open your Bibles or your devices to Daniel chapter 5. We're going to continue in this amazing prophetic book written about 2,600 years ago. And just because it's old doesn't mean it's uh, no longer valuable. It's extremely valuable. And it speaks to us just like it would have uh, 2,600 years ago. Now, last week as we, as we launched into chapter 5, it was on the heels of Nebuchadnezzar giving a press conference to the world. And at the end of it, uh, he, he died. And his game is over. His life is over. And he left this enormous, amazing, fortified kingdom. And so when he left it behind, everybody jockeyed for the spot to be the ruler of Babylon. And it went through a succession of about five different leaders, and they were murdered by other leaders jockeying for the spot. And ultimately, it would land in the lap of Nebuchadnezzar's son, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was an absentee king, and he just kind of disappeared, and we don't know where he went. The history doesn't tell us, the scripture doesn't tell us, he just wasn't present as a king. And so he left it kind of uh, under leadership of his son, Belshazzar. Now Belshazzar is, uh, is like what we would call a millennial. He's a young guy and, uh, and he's not ready for the position and that's what we talked about. Now the title of last week's message was Party Like It's BC 539. And that was kind of written as a spoof off of Prince's song from 1999, Party Like It's 1999. In the song he was talking about, you know, this world could end tomorrow, Y2K, so let's just live it up, no holds barred, let's live for our own personal pleasure. Well, that wasn't a new idea. It happened 2,600 years ago and before. And so uh, Belshazzar was saying, let's just party like there's no tomorrow. And little did he know there would be no tomorrow for him. So in the first uh, half of chapter 5, we saw the nature of one individual. In the second half of chapter 5, we'll see the nature of another individual. Now, now check this out. I, I didn't really see this coming, and it's amazing that there is, there's two individuals, somebody who has a non-biblical worldview and somebody, someone who has a biblical worldview. That's who we see in this chapter. And, and all of us have an opportunity and a challenge before us every day to live under a worldly, non-biblical view or a biblical worldview. And we're going to see what that looks like. Last week we saw the unbiblical worldview and we saw first that he was unqualified. In chapter 5 verse 1 it simply began, it says, King Belshazzar prepared a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and he was drinking wine in front of them all. Something a king didn't do in those days. And so he's partying in front of everybody. There's no reservations about who he is and, and who he claims to be as king and what he wants the, his future kingdom to look like. He was unqualified to be king. He was unqualified to make the decisions that move a nation in the direction it should go. Most importantly, most significantly for Belshazzar and for us is he was unqualified to accomplish God's goal, God's purpose, God's design in his life. And of all of the failures that he had, it's the failure that most of us have been uh, exposed to at some point in our life where we, we qualify people to do great things in this world. We qualify them for athletics. We qualify them for academics. We qualify them for, for you know, different things, but we do not qualify them to be everything God has purposed their life to be. 
And I want you to know something today. Every single person in here, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. When he allowed you to be placed on this planet, he designed you just like you are for the season that you're in to use you for his glory, to accomplish his will and his way. So in the first half of chapter 5, Belshazzar was not that guy, okay? And he was unqualified. The second thing we saw was an unqualified person places themselves under another influence. And he was under another influence. It says in verse 2, it says, while under the influence of wine, I'll just leave it right there, his influence was wine. Alcohol was the thing that caused him to be the most stupid, okay? But in today's world, maybe it's not alcohol. It's anything we place ourselves under the influence of other than God's eternal, sovereign, infallible, inerrant, perfect word. That's, that's our influence. Anything other than that, we've placed ourselves under the wrong influence. Now, when we're under the wrong influence, we start doing things that are ungodly. <clears throat> we make decisions and, and we move in directions that God has not designed or, or does He desire us to go in. In the case of Belshazzar, what happened? He's throwing the party, and the party's getting rich. I mean, the booze are flowing, the women are dancing, the DJ's, you know, he's spinning, everything's happening, okay? And, 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 and as if that's not enough, he says, listen, go to the storage room and get those vessels, those godly, quote, godly uh, Israeli Hebrew vessels, those Jewish set-apart instruments. Bring them to the party because we're going to amp it up. And so they bring in these vessels, these goblets that were set apart for God's service, and they filled them with booze and they passed them around between the king and his nobles and all of the, the, their wives and their concubines, which we talked about, you know, friends with benefits, and all of them are partying. And that is when God said, time out, that's enough, okay? Because they had placed themselves under the influence. Now, once you're under the influence, if you're not careful, there's a place where God will say, that's enough. And he puts us under the spotlight. Now, nobody wants to be under the spotlight. Nobody wants to be investigated. You know, I think about this season we're in with an election. You knew that, right? Okay. Yeah, it's everywhere. Sick of it. Okay. And, and, and everybody puts, the reason great people don't run for office is because you have to go through that. You know, nobody wants to be under the spotlight because truthfully, everybody has a skeleton or two in the closet. Now, they're all different, but we all got them, okay? And we don't want that to come out, right? I just want to remind you, we live our lives under the spotlight of God. He watches everything we do. He hears everything we say. He watches what comes through our eye canal, our ear, ear canal. He watches our feet. He, he just knows us. He watches us. And he's gracious, and he's patient, and he's merciful. But there's a place where he says, I'm also just and perfect and right. And so he responds. In this case, when he placed him under the spotlight, it looked like this. It says in verse 5, At the very moment, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster. That's all we got to see. All right? At what very moment? The moment when they went too far. The moment when they colored outside the lines a little too much. The moment when they got the sanctified, set-apart things of God, the vessel of God, and they began to drink and they, they began to worship the gods of, of gold and silver and stone and wood. That was too much. That was too much. And they were, they were under uh, the spotlight. And what happens? We talked about a hand comes. No body, no arm, just a hand. Okay, that'll sober a party up. All right? Music dies down and everybody turns to see Belshazzar. And he's trying to figure out what this is up on the wall. Now, we talked about God can do whatever he wants to do. 
And it only takes a fingertip for him to rattle your cage. Think about it. All of nothingness became everythingness with the spoken word of God. In this story, a finger shows up and writes on the wall, and the king of the great, one of the greatest nations that's ever been on this planet is shaken, is moved, and changed forever. And, and so when we get under the spotlight, we realize we ain't that impressive, which led me to point four, which is unimpressive. That leads us to verse 10. It says, due to the noise caused by the king and his nobles, the queen mother then entered the banquet. Pause right there. When Mimi wakes up because the party's too loud, we're all in trouble, all right? And so they're rocking and rolling, man. They're having a big time, and, and Queen Mother, what a biblical name. And we think this was probably, probably Nebuchadnezzar's wife. Nebuchadnezzar was dead, so it would be Belshazzar's grandmother. And when Mimi shows up, just to lay it down straight of who you really are, you just kind of take it, right? And she is unimpressed with him because he's unimpressive. Because the light is shining on him. She's not impressed. So she goes on. She says, listen, listen, everything you thought you were, everything you think you are, it's really in Daniel's life. Everything you need to be king, Daniel has it. Everything you, um, you want to be, Daniel is the guy. Now, let's, let's go back 2,600 years. Do you real, This is in front of everybody. You, you, nobody wants to be dressed down by anybody, especially in public. And nobody ever wants to look at you and brag on somebody else and compare it to your inability and unimpressiveness. You know, you know that don't feel good. I shared this story. I don't think I've ever shared it. About 25 years ago, we had two little girls. They're grown now, Caitlin and Kelsey. And, and, and we wanted to uh, teach them piano lessons. So we hooked them up in a, with this guy uh, who was the piano teacher. He had a, a Ph.D., in piano. I didn't even know that existed. Okay. A PhD in piano. So we sent the girls to piano lesson. They'd go down there and bang out this song. And they learned how to play the piano. They hated it, but they learned how to play piano. So one day we're in church and it's like we're in a small group, life group, and we're all talking, a bunch of us there. And one lady asked Kendra, said, Hey, don't your girls take piano lessons? And I'm standing there. Well, yeah. Kendra said, Yeah. And who gives, who gives your girls piano lessons? She, no, this is what she does. She goes, Dave Covington, he's wonderful. I'm standing here. To, what about my, you? Ain't never said wonderful about me. Okay, I got to play the piano before I get to wonderful status, Mister Wonderful. To this day, Dave Covington in my household, you know his name is Mister Wonderful. Okay, nobody likes to be dressed down and compared to somebody who's Mister Wonderful. Mimi shows up at the party and says, "Hey, Belshazzar, okay, you are not Mister Wonderful." Okay, it's Dave Covington. Okay, it's Daniel. He's the guy, and you need to be like him. Now, that's, that's a picture of a guy who lives with a non-biblical worldview. That's who he is. He thinks he's great, and he ain't. He talks a big talk. He throws a big party, but at the end of the day, he loses. To today's message, chapter 5, the second half, is called Still Standing When the Party's Over. You see... The person who lives for God, who has a biblical worldview, when the party of this world is over, he's still standing. She's still standing. The child of God is standing when the party's over. And you'll see that today. It is beautiful. So point number five, unapologetic. That's our word. This is what the child of God uh, looks like. You should, If you're a child of God, bought and paid for through the blood of Jesus on a brutal, wicked cross, you're a child of God. You should live your life unapologetically 
in a world that pushes back. You should have the strongest spine on the planet. You should be able to stand strong in the face of your enemies, whether you're in a school, whether you're on a team, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in your family, in your neighborhood. You should live, we should live unapologetic lives. Here's what it says. We're going to read several verses beginning in verse 13. So it says, so Daniel was brought in before the king. And the king said to Daniel, are you that Daniel? Who is the one, the captives of Judah, whom my father, the king brought from Judah? I've heard about you. <laughs> yeah, I've heard about you. Mimi told me all about you. Okay, Mr. Wonderful. I've heard it all. All right. He says how there's a spirit of the gods in you and how you have insight and discernment and extraordinary wisdom. Now the wise men and the astrologers were brought before me to read the writing and made known to me its interpretation, but they were unable to disclose the interpretation of the message. They never have been and they never will be. However, I have heard that you are able to provide interpretations and to decipher knotty problems. Now, if you are able to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, you will wear purple and have a golden collar around your neck and be the third ruler in the kingdom. Sounds great on the surface. But Daniel replied to the king, keep your gifts, pause. He's probably thinking, you don't want to pay me for what I'm getting ready to tell you. Number two, this is going to be a short-lived uh rulership okay this thing's crashing tonight so you might want to reserve so just give it to somebody else because if they get it maybe when the new ruler comes in they won't uh, know that I'm the guy and they won't kill me along with you so he goes on now and he says give your rewards to someone else however I will read the writing for the king and make known its interpretation as for you O king here he goes he tells the story now he's going to go back a few years and remind him of his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar. He says, O king, the most high God bestowed on your father, Nebuchadnezzar. We talked about father. There's no word for grandfather. It's actually his grandfather. He says, God bestowed on your father, Nebuchadnezzar, a kingdom, greatness, honor, and majesty. Due to the greatness that he bestowed on him, all people's nations and language groups were trembling with fear. He killed whom he wished. He spared whom he wished. He exalted whom he wished, and he brought low whom he wished. And when his mind became arrogant and his spirit filled with pride, he was deposed or removed from his royal throne and his honor was removed from him. He was driven from human society. His mind was changed to that of an animal. And he lived with wild donkeys. He fed grass like oxen and his body became damp with the dew of the sky until he came to understand that the Most High God rules over human kingdoms and he appoints over them whomever he wishes. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, although you knew all this. Instead, you've exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. You brought before you the vessels from his temple, and you and your nobles, together with your wives and concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, gods that cannot see or hear or comprehend. But you have not glorified the God who has in his control your very breath and all your ways. Therefore, the palm of a hand was sent from him, and his writing was inscribed unapologetic. He says, listen, I got nothing to offer. Now, now, now we got to go back here for just a second. Remember, Daniel showed up on the scene as a teenager, maybe 13 to 15, middle school, early high school. He walked a thousand miles at Spear Point to make an appointment to be castrated. There's a good plan. 
Once he got there, they wanted to re-educate him. They renamed him. They recultured him. Okay, and he's just a kid. But he chose to live for God no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the outcome. That's what he did. So now time has passed. According to, to Scripture and Babylonian Chronicles, now he's like mid-70s. He's like, a, he's like an old guy. And he's still doing it well for God unapologetic, unafraid. It's, it's, it's like John MacArthur, which you heard me tell a story a few weeks ago in California, who I admire him. Uh, he's preaching, and people started, he's doing online, and thousands start coming to church. He didn't invite them. They just showed up because they're tired of staying at home in California. And so they started showing up, and the government came in and said, listen, you can't do that. We're going to fine you $5,000 for every event you have, and, and you could spend up to six months in prison. Okay? And his answer was beautiful. He said, you know what? I've been in ministry for 45 years. I've never had the opportunity to do jail ministry. And then he said, bring it on. I'll do jail ministry. Now, on the surface, it sounds great. But keep in mind, he's in his late 70s, okay? What a way to go out. You know what? You know, what is, like Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. When you get old, it gets like that. When your body hurts more, and your friends, most of them are gone, you start looking really forward to a brand new body in a brand new place, all right? And he's thinking, man, bring it on. Take me home, okay? I will live for you regardless. That's what unapologetic living looks for. Now, listen to me. When we get to a place where we understand the God of everything, the one who whispered everything into existence, the one who still sustains everything, the one who has created a home for us, the one who has made a way for us to get to that home by coming here in the person of Jesus, dying on a cross for us. When we get that and we surrender to His will and His way for our life, that's when God says, I can use you now. Until then, we're just spinning our wheels for our own personal gain and glory. But when we get to the place where we surrender to that, he says, that's what I've been looking for. Daniel's done it well his whole life. Now listen to me. Daniel started when he was a teenager. You remember they said, here's your food because we want you to be strong and healthy. Yeah, we don't eat that. You know, just get a, give us pork and, or not pork and beans, that'd be bad. Uh, give us beans and lentils. Give us our Jewish meal. Okay, we're not eating all your king's food. We're not drinking all your wine. We want water and beans and lentils. Okay, that's all. And they were stronger and healthier and brighter. When he was a teenager, he was doing it. Now he's an old guy. And he's still saying, okay, yeah, I'll tell you what it means. You're going down. I'll just tell you, okay? Now listen, I want you to know, God doesn't stop using you when you get old. God doesn't start using you when you get to a certain age. Listen, when God ordains in His sovereignty to allow you to have a presence upon this earth, he starts using you for His glory. And He doesn't stop desiring to use you until He comes back or He takes you home to be where He is. Okay? That's good news. We've done a disservice. We treat children as if their, their, their God-given role, God's goal for their life happens when they get qualified. No. A baby screams the glory of God the moment it gets here. I have a new grandson, Major, all right? 
And, and I look at that little guy. He's amazing. And he just reminds me of how great God is. He's an image bearer of the true and living God. God's using him and he don't even know it. And, and, and I've got a mother who's 81 years old. And my dad passed away just several weeks ago. And people ask all the time, how is your mom? My mom's doing really well. I went, I go visit her and, 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 and she's got a circle of friends at church. They're loving on her and they're doing things together. And she's reading the Bible a lot and she's, she's in a good place. Okay. God has not stopped using her. God is still shining in her life, just like he is my grandson. And listen to me, he wants to shine in your life. Now here's the problem. What we do most of our life, we've been duped into believing that when I become, when I have enough ability to be used by God, I'll start letting Him use me. You ready? He is not worried about your ability. He's worried about your availability. When your availability rises above your preconceived idea of your ability, God will use you in powerful, supernatural, life-changing, world-changing, heaven-and-hell-altering ways. That's cool. There's no one exempt. Look at the person next to you. Just look at him. You have to say nothing. Now, 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 I know what you were thinking. Yeah, that one, I can see it. This one, maybe not so much. Okay? No. Everybody God uses, He desires to use you. I just think that I, that's, that blows me away. That blows me away that God would choose to use somebody like me, and He does. And it blows me away that God would choose to use somebody like you because I know some of you. And He does. That's God. He's looking for our availability. And so I'm thinking about this story about being unapologetic. I'm thinking about Daniel. I kind of, you know, I really kind of dove back in history. I went back, you know, like time traveled in my mind. And I was thinking, you know, how bold is Daniel to stand like that in a kingdom of power and royalty and wealth and stand for God. And I'm reminded, the Lord just told me this. He's walking in a preacher's shoes. And we live in a world, churches have leaders that are called ministers. That's sophisticated. That's cool. And there's churches where everybody's a pastor. Well, that's cool. He called me to be a preacher. Minister sounds, I like minister better. It's more sophisticated. I kind of like pastor better because that just means you love everybody. Some of them up close and some of them at a distance. Okay? Preacher means whatever this book says, whatever the Holy Spirit places in your heart, you kind of got to lay it out there. And I'm telling you, it ain't always fun. You know because you hear it. Okay? It's not fun saying it either because the devil, when you say it, the devil starts pointing people out in your mind. Boy, they don't like that. And then you start looking around and I don't know, our church is set up where you can look around and see people. Have you ever looked at people's faces during church? It's very scary. Okay? It can be, you know? And if you're preaching and things are, and it's an unpopular truth. It's not trendy or cool or palatable. It's hard and yet that's what Daniel did. That's what I'm called to do. I didn't ask for it. I didn't really, not really qualified for it. He asked me, he told me to do it, and I do it. And so here's the challenge that Scripture places on my life as a preacher. And it would have been true 2,600 years ago for Daniel. 
And then I'm going to share something else with you. Look what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. It says, I ch solemnly charge you before God and Christ. Well, there's a big audience. He says, who is going to judge the living and the dead? That's a little bit fretful. And by his appearing and his kingdom, here's the call. Preach the message. Be ready, whether it is convenient or not. Some translations say in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and instruction. For there will be a time when people will not tolerate sound teaching. Instead, following their own desires. They will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things. And they will turn away from hearing the truth. But on the other hand, they'll turn aside to myths or lies. That's what I'm called to. Now, you ready? You ready? If you're saved, if you're not, this ain't for you. If you are saved, if you are part of the blood-bought bride of Jesus Christ, you have asked Jesus to come into your life to save you. What I just shared from 2 Timothy is true for you too. Your life is to preach and proclaim the greatness of a great God. And sometimes we don't preach a very good sermon with our lives. You know, when I do funerals, it always comes up, you know, it's like they say, you know, live your life so they don't have to lie at your funeral. You know, there's some truth in that, okay? Uh, you, some funerals are easy to preach because they preached a sermon. Uh, they preached their funeral with their whole life. Other people, they ask you to preach their funeral. So you have to talk about somebody else the whole time. You just talk about Jesus a whole lot, okay? You should live your life that preaches your funeral. That's what it's talking about. And it starts when you're willing to do that. Okay, so now, not only uh, is he unapologetic, now he's unshaken. The child of God is unshaken. You don't worry about it. It's, life is life. It comes with good. It comes with bad. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. There's good seasons, bad seasons. Good moments, bad moments. Good things, bad things for everybody. People always ask, why do bad things happen to good people? Bad things happen to all people. But don't stop the question right there. Why do we never say, why do good things happen to good, to, to good people? Nobody, have you ever heard somebody, why do good things happen to good people? Because we focus on the bad. That's not unshaken, the unshaken way of the child of God. Here's what it says now in verse 25. It says, this is the writing. Now he's going to tell him what it says. He says, this is the writing that was inscribed on the wall. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Farson. Okay, let me just pause right there. Okay. Nobody, nobody knew what that meant then. Daniel shows up and he interprets probably what was on the wall and give, puts it in Aramaic. He says, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Farson. Now here's, here's the deal. Mene in the New Testament, you remember hearing the word amina, which is a value of, 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 of currency. So he says, value, value. And then he goes to tekel or tekel. In the New Testament, the word that we see would be shekel, which is a weight, a measurement of weight. And then he goes down to farsen. In our English language, we get the word parse to parse something or a parcel. It's a mathematic term to divide. So here's what he says. This is what, this is what God sent the fingers to write on the wall, chief. Valued. Hold on, go back just a second. I'm sorry. Valued, valued, weighed, and now you're going to be divided. 
That's it. Now, here's how he words it. He goes on, he says, this, this is the interpretation of the words. As for men, eh, God has numbered your kingdom days and brought it to an end. That's a good note. As for Tekel, you are weighed on the balances and found to be lacking. That's exciting. As for Perez or Parson, your kingdom is divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. Then on Belshazzar's orders, Daniel was clothed in purple and a golden collar placed around his neck and he was proclaimed third in the kingdom. I will say one good thing about Belshazzar. He said, if you'll just tell me what it means, I'm going to give you a purple robe and a gold collar and you'll be third in control. He just got the worst possible information he could get. And he said, okay, where's the purple robe? At least he did what he's going to say. Now, he goes and he says, in that very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed the very night. Now, he says, so Darius the Mede took control of the kingdom when he was about 62 years old. So how does this happen? How do you take over uh, this kingdom that's fortified, that has walls 300 feet tall? How do you do that? I mean, you, you think your army's going to run at, you're like, you know, just shooting arrows. I mean, you, there's no way you're going to conquer it. You remember we talked about that each wall of the kingdom was 15 miles long. And the Euphrates River ran right through the middle of the kingdom. That's where they got their, their water to sustain life and also to water his hanging garden that he gave to his wife. But at the same time, the Medes and the Persians had been thinking about how they were going to do this. So they diverted the Euphrates River. They dug a channel or a canal to get to this low swampy area. They drained the river. And so on party night, party like it's B.C. 539, okay, that's when they would strike. Unaware, nobody's aware, they drain the river, they walk under the wall on shallow ground, and they conquer this fortified kingdom called Babylon. I mean, it's amazing. Now, now here's the point. When God says... That's all I'm taking. There's nothing we can do about it. When God runs out of chances for us, it's game over. All right? And, and he can do whatever he wants to because, because he's God. Uh, now, unfortunately, people today are kind of the same way. We live our lives in our little fortified city thinking everything is good in the hood. I got this. Okay? My kids are okay. I'm still married. Uh, I got, you know, a little money in the checking account. My 401k went up today, tomorrow, don't know. Okay. Uh, you know, I, but we measure things out and we say everything's okay right now. Meanwhile, we're oblivious to what's going on from God's perspective outside of our world. And, and we should have a reality check. We should simply say, God, I feel like I look like this. I feel like my world is this. What do you see when you see my world? Because if you'll tell me, I kind of want to move it to the place you want it to be. Now, Jesus addressed the idea of, of surprises. Luke chapter 12, it says this, then he told a parable. This is the land of a certain rich man produced an abundant crop. He says, so he, the rich man, thought to himself, man, what should I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He says, then he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger barns. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to myself, Self, 
You have plenty of goods stored up for many years. So relax, eat, drink, and be merry or celebrate. But God, pause. Jesus tells a story about a guy who starts looking inward instead of upward. A guy who investigates self and he comes up with a passing the test with an A grade. It's like, look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at what I have. Meanwhile, but, conjunction, transition, but God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded back from you. But who will get what you have prepared for yourself? So it is with the one who stores up riches for himself, but it is not he is not rich toward God. Now, look, I'll come like a thief, Jesus says. Blessed is the one who stays alert and does not lose his clothes so that he will not have to walk around naked and his shameful condition be seen. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord will come in the same way as a thief in the night. 1 Thessalonians 5.2 He says, Listen, God has his way, and we need to be alert. We need to stop being so satisfied with ourselves because of an inward focus. We need to look to God and say, God, what is it you want from me? I, I shared this. Um, I had a luncheon with senior adults. And uh, I get in trouble sometimes because I want to challenge people. But it's okay. I'm a preacher. And so I told them, I said, listen, I want to challenge you with something. This is senior adults, and I have the best senior adults I've ever known. I've ever known, okay? They've endured me and all the changes that God has done in this church, and they're still faithful, and they love me, and I love them. I have a, about a 100-year-old senior adult who lives in assisted living, and until they put her in assisted living, she'd sit kind of right back there in the back row. She'd go to sleep, okay? <laughs> if I heard me preach, I probably would too, all right? But every, every Sunday she would walk out, ah, Joel, that's the best message I think you've ever preached. That let me know she couldn't hear. And then, if that wasn't enough, listen to this, she'd say, and you get better looking every Sunday. I said, you're my new best friend. All right? Now, I'll, I'm tell, I'll tell you that story because I have an amazing group of senior adults. And I told them this thing. I said, listen, I want, to, I want you to consider something called legacy giving. Legacy giving is where you realize one day we leave this planet. And whatever we have or don't have, we leave behind. And our children and grandchildren get it, okay? Kendra and I are changing our, our will so that a portion of whatever's left behind goes to the church, okay? Because we want our daughters and son-in-laws and their families to receive blessed estate, whatever that looks like. They split the 50 cents that's left among them and be happy till Jesus comes, okay? And I told them, I said, I want you to consider the same thing. And, and you'll remember, some of you will remember, I shared this story again that I, one Sunday I said, listen, I said, when you leave your money behind, your children are just going to like go buy a boat, okay? And somebody was sitting over here in the dark and they go, amen. And I looked and sure enough, it was one of our guys who has a boat dealership. And, and I told the church, I said, that's all right. If they buy a boat from him, he's a giver. You go buy a boat from him. That was on Sunday, obviously. On Monday, he came to 11B, feeding the homeless. And he, he looked like Belshazzar. He had knocking knees and pale face. And I said, what's up, bro? He goes, like an out-of-body experience. I said, what's up? He said, you said yesterday that when people give their estate to their children, they just go like buy a boat. I said, yeah. He goes, 
it happened. I said, when? He said, today. A guy shows up, bought like a $75,000, $85,000 boat. And he says, yeah, man. He said, just got my inheritance. And I was like, it is so true. Now, I say all that because what happens here, the man of God realizes that this life is passing. The man of the child of God knows that this life is passing and we don't know what tomorrow holds. But just like Paul would say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What we have a tendency to do is buy another idea that says to live is gain and to die we dread. We live our lives for this moment. And God's saying, I have a whole stinking eternity of moments. Just give it to me. You will not be disappointed. If you think what you see is good, you wait till the world that you haven't seen yet. And it's going to be amazing. So, lastly, unfazed. I love this. Unfazed. I, I didn't even know how to spell unfazed. If it wasn't on the screen, anybody know how to spell unfazed? Who knew? F-A-Z-E-D, phased. I had a P-H in there. I had an S in there. It's all messed up. Unfazed, okay? This is how the child of God lives his life. At the end of the day, he's unfazed. She's unfazed. Chapter 6, and we're done. It says, verse 1, It seemed like a good idea to Darius. That's the new king in town. The one who just killed Belshazzar. The one who rolled into the kingdom where Daniel has just been appointed number three guy on the totem pole. He rolls into town, takes over, puts up his sign, you know, took, took possession of the throne. And it seemed like a good idea to Darius to appoint over the kingdom 120 satraps who would be in charge of the entire kingdom. So far, so good. Over them would be three supervisors. One of them, who was Daniel. Hmm. These satraps were accountable to, to them so that the king's interests might not occur, incur damage. Now watch this. Now Daniel was distinguishing himself above the other supervisors and the satraps for he had an extraordinary spirit. Yeah, he did. It says, in fact, the king intended to appoint him over the entire kingdom. You ready? When you give your life to God, and you live unapologetic, you live unshaken, at the end of the day, no matter who is sitting in the Oval Office, there's a God sitting on His throne that trumps it all, no pun intended. Okay? And if you're a child of God, you're His. You're His. He bought you with His own Son's blood. He has every right to you. You've been purchased. You're not your own. At the end of it, you realize, you know what? I'm a resident of Knoxville, but I'm a citizen of heaven. And so we just dive into what God wants for our life, and He'll care for you. You know, Tuesday, big day. Big day. Okay? <laughs> big day in people's eyes. In God's eyes, <laughs> a big day was when Jesus died on a cross. A big day when, was when Jesus got up out of the grave, came home, or excuse me, walked around on earth. And a big day was when Jesus ascended back to heaven. Those are big days. A big day was uh, 48 years ago when Jesus came into my life. 
and all the angels of heaven rejoiced. Those big days, an election in the United States of America to God. It's just another day. It's just another 24-hour day. Because at the end of the third, we still won't know who the president is, but at the end of the third, the voting will be partly completed. Okay. But then the fourth will come if Jesus doesn't come back yet. And it'll be another day. And another day. And another day. And for those of us who are children of God, purchased by the blood of Jesus, we're unfazed. We're unfazed. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to re just read a couple verses while you, your eyes are closed and, and just ponder this idea. Proverbs 29.25 says this. This is the fear of people becomes a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord will be set on high, just like Daniel. I want to encourage you today to hold your head up in Jesus' name. To live a life that's unapologetic for God. No matter what comes into your world, sickness, job loss, troubles, family issues, you just remain unshaken because God's still on His throne. And at the end of the day, you will be unfazed by what this world and the enemy who leads it cast against you. Now that's for the children of God. Maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered to Jesus. I would invite you and encourage you to get to the place where you just simply listen not to the preacher, but to the Holy Spirit of God. And say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I want you to save me. I can't do it, but I know you can. I give all of my brokenness to all of your per perfection in exchange. I'm forever moved that you would even hear my prayer and that you would do what I'm asking you to do. Just come into my life. Wash me clean. Fill me with your spirit. And help me live for you for all of eternity. Thank you for hearing my prayer. And thank you for saving me. Now others of us who have already done that. It's time that we move from the inside out. That we realize that God dwells in us and we are to be His ambassadors in this world. And at the end of the day, we'll still be standing when the party's over. Father, we thank You for this amazing story, amazing chapter. God, we pray that You will do what You want to do in our hearts and in our lives without doing it through the woodshed that you'll do it because we we listen to you and we apply your truth to our life i thank you for every person that's here today watching online every adult every boy every girl i pray god that you will continue to reveal yourself to them in a powerful way and they'll understand that your ways are greater your thoughts are higher. Your love is dip, deeper, richer, and better than anything we can know in this world. 
And it's all found in your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Hey, the altar's open if you'd like to come and pray. I'm here if you'd like for someone to pray with you. Otherwise, we want to stand and we want to worship our great God one more time. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.